With that, children, you guys are free to head off to Sunday school. Uh, if you have not been signed in, uh, you remember parents, we're going to sign them in and also sign them out. Uh, and that would be wonderful, uh, very useful. Um, and again, I really want to make a, I know it sounds like I'm really making a push, because I am. I'm really trying to say, uh, really think about getting involved in Sunday school. Even if you're like, well, Bert, I've only been here, I'm only planning to be here for a year, or maybe a little bit longer. Um, you never know how God leads. Uh, it's a really a wonderful opportunity to uh, serve, to help. And we really believe that that's a great way um, for you to speak in and to be able to encourage uh, kids' lives and developments. Uh, so if you're interested and you're thinking about that, uh, definitely come speak to Hoi Fi or you can speak to myself or any of the pastoral team, and we'll point you in the right direction. Um, with that, we are continuing our series on Kingdom Vision, and uh, we're kind of shifting. So the first time in September... We are talking about what does the kingdom of God look like? Um, what is his vision for the kingdom? And we looked at uh, paradise, and we looked at the book of Revelation, the city of God. We looked at Jesus. Then we thought about, well, what's this vision? What does it mean to see? What does it mean to have the same kind of eyes that Jesus has, uh, the way he looks at the world? Now we're shifting gears, and uh, this next series, we want to talk a little bit more about actually how does BCEC, our church, actually fit in with this kingdom vision? And... Um, I'm not going to lie, or I learned NGL, uh, that um, we are ethnically uh, less diverse than maybe other churches, although culturally we are quite different. In this church alone, we have uh, three groups that are more ethnically similar uh, from China and Hong Kong and from the UK and Singapore and Malaysia. However, um, culturally we're quite different. And uh, even trying to understand that whether it's language or attitudes or how you think you raise your children, uh, they can all vary quite a lot. But for us, then it's asking, well, God, if your kingdom vision is, is grand and big and wide, what does it look like for us? And the title of this series is actually called, We Are His Church. And it's trying to help us understand and, and, and engage with this idea, well, what does it mean that we are his church and what does that look like? And the first of these topics that we're going to talk about is, if we are his church, what does unity look like? Um, Unity, of course, we understand is across two different kind of areas. One is a local kind of unity. Is there unity within our congregation here? Is there unity across all three congregations? Even is there unity within your own kind of life group or in your fellowship? Um, then the broader picture of unity is how are we united to all the other kind of different churches out there? What is our connection with them? And I want to talk a little bit about this. Now, some of you guys may have heard me talk about this before, and I'm bringing this up again because I want us to continue to reflect and kind of understand um, how this works. And then we're going to start, whenever we talk about unity, we have to talk about where conflict kind of happened first. We're going to look at uh, Babel. Now, Babel is this moment in uh, the history of the, the world um, where uh, People start uh, coming together, and they have the great plan that they're going to build this big tower to kind of reach God. And after that, God splits them and separates them. So let me read this from Genesis chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Um, and they had, and by the way, it wasn't like burn them so they're bad. Actually, that's how you cook the bricks. And they had brick and stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, there's a moment here where they're saying, hey, we're all kind of the same. We all speak the same language. Let's make this great 
tower and let's make this great thing so that we can really be in the same place together forever so we don't lose track of each other so we can be together. It kind of, sounds kind of good, right? And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language and this is, the only, is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and there confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a weird story, right? It's like, um, uh, from a Western perspective, growing up where we are interested in like, technology and trying to have the same language, like it makes it easier to speak, what it sounds like the people are doing makes a lot of sense. Hey, if we all come together... We can do something awesome. We can build this giant tower, and we can uh, get close to the heavens. There's some theories that they're saying, like, we can be as great as God. We can be as powerful as God. Nothing can, be, nothing can stop us. And when God shows up, he looks and says, well, this doesn't look very good. And he says this weird thing, like, if they do this, nothing will be impossible for them. And so he says, well, we should go down and scramble them up and make them all go all over the place. Now, if I'm not a Christian or if I didn't believe in God, I would say, oh, God's kind of a meanie, right? It's like he has all this superpower, and then he sees everyone kind of coming together, and he says, well, I'm not having that, shazam, and then everyone can't speak the same language. Why does he do this? To help us understand this, it helps us to understand what happens when we are too uniform or we're too singular or we think we are the ones who have the right perspective. In other words, uniformity alone can breed pride. If everyone is exactly the same, you get this moment where you think that is the only way things should be and everything else is wrong. That pride we see happened throughout history time and time again. When we look at every genocide that has happened, it is because one race or one people with a common language or common ideology look at the other one and say, that is wrong. We should eliminate them. The motives might start off good, like, oh, we can build a great nation. But at some point when there are people who are different, they begin to say, well, we should subject them or put them down. It's why slavery has happened. It's why there's been great genocides. It's why World War II and the persecution of the Jews um, happened. It's why we hear about genocides in Rwanda. It's because humanity, though they think they are good, have such inbuilt sin and pride And when it is pulled together, although great things can happen, you are also pulling together all the pride and sinfulness of man. And then when that is demonstrated, indeed, something, nothing is impossible for them. One of the things we look at when we look at World War II, when we look at um, the rise of both Hitler and also then the uh, mass incarceration and murder of the Jewish people, uh, we forget that actually technology played a big part in this, actually. Uh, trying to transport millions of people around and then trying to find out whether they are Jewish was quite difficult. So at the time, uh, I believe it was actually IBM was involved with actually producing uh, pre-computers or punch cards to help, help calculate where people were. Uh, very interesting. I only read this recently. Um, but actually, they used this so they could help document the transport and moving people around and checking them in and out so that actually persecution could happen easier. Now, this happened because the German scientist said, well, we need a better way to kind of manage this instead of, like, head counting, right? If we could kind of identify and track them, it would be a little bit easier. In other words, that common language allowed them to do something amazing, something totally awesome. Like, it was really great. 
but then it was used for horrible things. And it's interesting because when you read about um, why uh, SS soldiers did that or why people went ahead and turned on the gas chambers, you have this feeling, why, why didn't their moral, internal moral compass stop them? Like, how could they allow this to happen? But when you hear their stories and you read about it, you realize at some point they didn't think it was wrong. They thought that actually that was the right way to treat other people, that actually they absolved themselves from that guilt or responsibility. Tower of Babel, although it just seems like nothing is going wrong, sets precedence for how much, if you are too uniform, it ends up breeding a pride that is destructive. For us, it's also the same thing. I I, I won't lie. I like being around people who are similar to me. I like short um, and beautiful. No, um, I, I like people who have similar interests or common kind of ideas because it's difficult talking to someone who's different. Or it's di- difficult talking to people who have a different accent or a different language because you just, it's less natural, right? It's much more fun to be people who are common around each other. Now, when I first came to this country, um, it, was, uh, it was different for me. Uh, British people are more reserved. Americans are like, hi, how's everyone doing? Are you guys having a great time today? Isn't church great? Church is wonderful. Let's get an amen. Um, and, of course, British people are like, welcome. <laughs> Lovely day, isn't it? Right then. And uh, very, you know, like very, you know, kind of calmer, a little bit more relaxed. And for me, it was a little bit of a a difficult kind of adjustment. Um, But it was nothing compared to when I first met Malaysians and sorry, that's me. (laughs) Nothing is more awkward than when your phone starts playing "Work It" by Rihanna. (laughs) I do not know why that came on, but I will only blame Siri. Hey, Siri. No, I just want to see whose phones went off. No. Um, totally lost my train of thought there. Uh, no, nothing prepared me for when I first met Malaysian Singaporeans. Now, I had never met a Malaysian before in my life in America. Uh, they never came around to where I was, and I met a Malaysian Singaporean. And they came up to me, and they said, Hey. And then they said a bunch of other stuff. La. <laughs> and then cannot. And all these kind of weird phrases, and their, their personalities were so different, and they would talk really quickly. And so when the Singaporeans got together, and you think if I speak fast, if you've ever seen two Singaporeans together start talking, it's like, can someone turn on the subtitles? Because I don't know what's happening. Um, At the same time, it was really wonderful. They had this kind of energy. And I thought to myself, well, this is good, but I I feel left out. I feel a bit alone. I don't know how to connect. Um, And we were in the church together. I actually had to serve in a student fellowship with mostly uh, Malaysians and Singaporeans. And it was kind of good, and I thought, well, there's some nice things here. But the first time I sat with them in a prayer meeting, and they, and they got in a circle and they prayed, and they were praying, I was like, whoa. Some of these people, when they pray, it's like, it's like they're really talking to God. Now, it sounds funny that I would say that. But you know when you get so used to praying in your own language, when you speak, you're just saying like, Oh, Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, may your blessings come upon us, and may your spirit lead us. And you're like, oh, okay. You like, just turn it out. For them, when I heard it in their language, and maybe they were just saying it the way they did, but for me to hear it in English, but in Singlish, and at the same time, the, the love that they had or the desire that they want for God to, to touch their lives, it opened my mind and my heart for a second to see, like, 
Americans or American Christians do not have a monopoly on God. In fact, a different culture's relationship with God can highlight and bring in life that I would have otherwise missed. At that point, I just loved praying with Malaysian Singaporeans. I would just sit there. I wouldn't pray out loud because I'd be like, I sound fake when I pray compared to these guys. Um, and I don't know whether they felt fake because they were just used to hearing it that way. But I know for some of them, there was this real yearning and this real desire. And being with them helped teach me that, Bert, you speak and pray distant. And your language and your comfortability with that language has meant you have lost sight of what it means to pray. And I had to relearn how to pray in many of those ways. For us, for myself, it was really understanding that, like, I didn't realize how uniform and how comfortable I was and how important it was to try to look out and see, actually, I don't want to become proud or to think that I have the best way of doing it. Now, all of us have that. Um, it's, it's interesting for us as Chinese because we know within our society here, we are looked down upon. Um, if, and it's not just... Uh, uh, race, but it could also be gender. When I talked to, where I was talking to someone at a region conference, and she's talking about um, women in the creative industry and how few of them are at the top positions because they're all dominated by white men. And in fact, many positions in many companies are dominated by white men, and how difficult that is. Uh, and at the same time, you can understand how one perspective uh, can mean that you also want to hire like-minded people. You also know, similarly, when they're talking about AI and also currently trying to figure out how AI can be better at everything, or actually the better word is machine learning, uh, to detect uh, everything from diseases, that there's also bias built into that. And that bias then affects whether or not some people's diseases can be detected. You start realizing that on one hand, it seems great to have this unified, but the pride means that things get lost. In fact, you also start saying, well, if this system says it's right, then you must be wrong. When we talk about the incarceration of blacks in the states, we talk about uh, even how uh, AI is preventing some people, or machine learning prevents some people from getting loans or even housing, you start understanding that there are some systematic things about uniformity that gets into the way. The second thing that we learn from Babel is God is pushing people to go and speak in different direction, different languages so that different cultures can form. Different cultures, one of the main reasons they form is because they don't speak the same language. If you cannot speak the same language, and a language influences so much about how you think and how you behave. Uh, there's a really great TED Talk that talks about um, how language affects how people spend uh, their money, how they save money and how they spend money. Uh, one reason they found that Chinese people may save more money, um, except for the ones who are out gambling, uh, is because Chinese as a language does not have um, time. There's no right, real time. There is, uh, there is something that then indicates time. I'm here. And then I was there. Whereas here we have past tense in words. I walk. I walked. Um, but there's no kind of that transitional thing. So because of that, it's not built into the language. It means the way we look at time and then how we think about how money falls into that is really different. Very fascinating TED Talk, by the way. Um, and it made me realize, actually, for ourselves, when we think about it, we have to understand all the way cultures appreciate and look at different situations is a beneficial thing. For us, then, when we look at God, and he's talking about unity, and we want to get to this idea of what it means for us to be united, it means unity does not mean uniformity. See, we know God wants everyone to be united. We want them to be united under him. But for him to push in a different language is saying, I want the diversity or the differences within people and life 
to be celebrated, but then unity to come under something else. For Babel, unity was come under one uniformity, that they all kind of spoke the same language, but they were under one person's leadership to create something for man's own glory. What God is going to try to get to is saying, look, if you're living for man's own glory, there's a problem. Whichever man or leader you're following is going to die. If you're just doing it for your own cultural glory, it's going to get lost. The thing that should unify you at the very top, it should be the greatest thing, and that is God. And that's why he's trying to get to you. For us, we need to start saying, well, unity doesn't mean uniformity. Um, one of the big things is in a Chinese family, one thing they really like is to spend time with family. And a lot of times that's around food, but sometimes it just means can you be in the same house together. It doesn't mean you have to be doing the same thing. It doesn't mean you have to be in the same room. But if you are at home, then ah, uh, we're a family. We're all together. For uh, someone who grows up in the West, we can be in the house and we're not doing the same thing. We're like, we're not even united as a family. I'm just in my room playing on my phone and my mom's downstairs chopping chicken. Um, I don't know how this might feel like we're united. But for us to begin to understand that there are cultural differences in that makes us be able to appreciate one another more. And it's in that love that you begin to have unity. If we think about that as unity, we have to look at the very end. And in Revelation, they point to this picture, and we understand that this is where God is trying to lead us to. And after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, this is is great, because you get this, I mean, it's really highlighted a huge multitude that no one could number, like a great number of people, but from every nation, from all tribes or like subgroups or subcultures, um, and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. In other words, all these people in their different cultural contexts, their cultural kind of uh, attitudes and thinkings and their language, they're all standing there. It's funny because the next line is translated into English, so we assume, well, they're all different tribes, but when they say, they say, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, right? But it wouldn't have been that, right? They would have, okay, so stop and think, right? Like, I don't speak Chinese very well. I don't speak German. I don't speak uh, Greek. Um, But they know what everyone's saying. Right? There's this moment, similar to Pentecost, right? when, when everyone spoke out, but everyone could hear in their own language. It's like everyone's crying out in their own different language, in their own different expression of words, that God is the greatest. Salvation comes from Jesus. He is the one that we worship. And there's this beautiful picture that when we understand how beautiful and how diverse cultures are, and we celebrate in that, that our picture of heaven is, I want to really delight in that. I really want to delight in those differences because that is where I will get greater sense of the grandeur and the greatness of God. Part of this is also so that no one culture has a monopoly on God. No one culture can say, well, we translated the Bible and it's in King James and that's the one, so all you other people, you have to learn King James English, right? Like, Although that's, I hate to break the news to you, that's the mindset of a lot of people. Like, unless you read it in this language, in this translation, then you are not even a follower of Jesus. But God's trying to say, look, no one culture can have a monopoly on God. He wants the different cultures and different perspectives of God to say they can see all different parts of him. When they come together, like, wow, wow, 
I did not appreciate how great our God is. There is something wonderful and beautiful about diversity. There's something so precious about it. Now, I know even as I say this, in the back of your heads, you're like, hey, Bert, we're in the Birmingham Chinese Evangelical Church. Uh, we're not exactly diverse. Um, don't worry, I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, I can also see all your faces right now, so I know who is not Chinese and who is. Okay. Um, <laughs> But I do want to highlight, and you need to get this in your head, that there is a real beauty in diversity. And apart from ethnicity or apart from that, you have to say there is a beauty in understanding different backgrounds or different uh, wealth classes or people's history. And even that diversity, there is this wealth and come out how God's love can be demonstrated and shared. You have to really appreciate that. The second part is there is, of course, a massive challenge with diversity it makes it a lot more difficult. It is much harder to be able to engage in different cultural situations or even different financial backgrounds. On Sunday after church, what do most of us do? Uh, well, some McDonald's for you, maybe. Um, a lot of other people head down to look in or down to some Chinese food restaurants. Um, I remember my wife took a lot of her uh, colleagues from work to uh, have dim sum. And, you know, there's a range of vegans and vegetarians there. And, and somehow uh, the dim sum restaurant made a mistake and brought the chicken feet and plopped it right down in front of uh, the vegans. And uh, my wife quickly said, no, no, just, no don't eat that. Um, let's get that wrong table. Uh, get that way. So oh, what was that? That looked good. No, trust me. You, you don't want to eat that. Um, th- there's this sense of almost like um, we all want to go after church out to lunch. And we think, yeah, well, everyone should just be able to go out. Everyone pay for themselves. But we forget, actually, you know, actually some people can't afford to go out to lunch every Sunday. I mean, they can barely uh, afford to go to, uh, you know, Lidl or Aldi to buy enough food for the week. And, and, we, and we lose sight of that, right, because we are so homogenous. We're fairly middle class. Um, and some of us, we, we, just, we just get locked into thinking a certain way because we get too comfortable in that. See, see diversity is difficult, though, right? Because let's say 99% of you guys can all afford to go to look in for lunch, and there's that one person who doesn't. And you're like, okay, well, see you next week then. Because it's hard, right? Who's going to accommodate them? Because the other other, other part of it is like, well, will they feel bad if they can't pay, if they always have to take our charity? Like, how do we address that? God wants us to wrestle with those things because there is a beauty and appreciation of understanding people's different struggles and backgrounds because that helps us to love each other more it actually forces us to change to be different to appreciate and understand diversity so the question is then well what unifies us and i've already said it has to be god but let me break it down a little bit more we're gonna look at in in quickly in in ephesians and two parts the first part is ephesians chapter one verses three to fourteen i'll read this out All praise to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, Paul is writing in the book of Ephesians, and this is his opening pretty much gambit, and he's saying all these things that unify us. And the first thing he does, he points to God and says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we are looking to him. Uh, Even before he made the world, uh, for he chose us us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he's speaking not just to Jewish people, Jews and Gentiles, like all of us. Actually, we have been chosen from the beginning. No one's better. No one's more Christian than the other person. We are all holy and blameless in his sight. In love, 
which means he loves us. He predestined or chose us. Uh, oh, actually, this is the New Living Translation up here, isn't it? Um, <laughs> even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Again, there's this picture now that we are all adopted. None of us were earned or born into this. We were all grafted in. Uh, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all his wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mystery will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Like all of this is saying God is the one who has instigated all of this. He is the one who has brought love over you. He is the one who has brought you together. It is not by your own doing. None of us can claim to be better than someone else because all of us were chosen by him. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God for a chosen advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. Again, it's saying that we are chosen. He has united us. We are brought together because of him. Every Christian you meet, even if they may differ on their interpretation of some parts of scripture or about uh, whether speaking in tongues is okay or not, at the end of the day, if you have been saved by Jesus Christ and you call him Lord, and you say, you know what, I am nothing without, I'm saved by his grace, we're all in the same family. It is Jesus who saves us. You, you appreciate that because then you realize sometimes we fight over small things, and this is like a lot of marriages or relationships, and you lose sight of actually, when you see the bigger picture, God has bound us together. We can see actually throughout this passage, there's this list that we are one, saved by grace. We are saved by God alone. We have been chosen by him. We're redeemed by his sacrifice. We're saved by his blood. We have heard the truth and believed, and we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. All of that unites us. None of us can say, well, no, I saved myself, or Jesus saved me first, so I'm better. You might have more wisdom. You might have more experience. By the end of the day, we are all still one body. It's where we come to the end. In Ephesians 4, now he's been saying this. This is his starting gambit is he's trying to point us all towards God. And then he says, look, I want you guys to understand what unity looks like. And he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, um, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And he's pushing these two things, like this... To make this relationship of unity work, you have to love one another, and you have to press on towards that peace. And he says, actually, don't try to unite yourselves, but maintain the unity that God has already given you. You are already a family, so stop fighting with each other, or stop comparing, or judging, or demeaning, or hating, or putting yourself above someone else, but just say, actually... I want to keep the unity of Christ that he's already given us because we have been saved by him. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father all, who is over all and in all and living through all. In other words, there's the one thing that we look at. 
the one that we worship. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So if the first thing he's saying, look, you all have this unity, then he's saying there's also diversity. You have different gifts, you have different abilities, and you have different reasons for being. Uh, that's why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights and led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that he says ascended. It clearly means that Christ is a bit of theology. Uh, also descended to our lowly world. And the same who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so he might fill the entire universe with himself. He's saying, look, Christ is the greatest one, and he fulfills this prophecy. And he's reigning on high. But one of the things that he did was he, this idea of he's giving gifts to people. There's this diversity that he's given out to people both in their life experience, but also in the spiritual realm of what they can do, what they bring to the table. Now, these are the gifts God, Christ gave to the church. And these are some of them. Some people like to say, oh, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers, oh, apept. There's a list here of five things. We must look at that list and say, every church must have these five things, because that's what it says here in this scripture at this right time. Really, if this was God's ultimate plan that you have to have these five things, I think he would have said it a lot of times in the Bible, right? He would have said in the book of Corinthians, oh, why don't you find the P in uh, pastors and then get the other P, the prophet, and just sort it out, right? He doesn't, right? Because he's like, this is not a perfectly descriptive list of which every church needs to have, but these are some of those gifts in leadership that help provide something great. Um, Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church and the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. He's saying we are all united already, but because of sin or because of our immaturity, we don't understand what that means. We see a poor person and judge them. We see a different race and look down on them. We look at ourselves and think we're better than someone else. Even if we're the same ethnic background, we will judge someone from China different than someone from Hong Kong. Because we have this immaturity in this. And God's saying, look, you have these different gifts because you're trying to use them to shape, to help each other, to see God greater, to love him more, and your faith will increase. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, I thought it'd be nice to kind of explain this whole passage in a way that we might be able to appreciate. And like two questions we're trying to answer here now at the very end is, so how do we keep the unity of the faith? And second, how does, God, how does BCC fit into the unity of God's kingdom vision? So I've used this example once before uh, in uh, Sheffield. I'm pretty sure I haven't used it here in the English service, but I use it in the Chinese service. But if I have, humor me. Some of you guys are new. You may appreciate this. What do you think this makes? I'm testing all the chefs here. This is uh, some ingredients. What do you think this might create? Any idea? Any idea? Any idea? Oh, very good. It is this laksa, laksa. Yeah, I'll give you a hit. There's some more things here. Uh, some more ingredients. Laksa. Now, um, laksa. Uh, who said laksa? All right, here, here, here. Some other people. Uh, some, uh, let me ask you. What goes into laksa? Well, chilies and uh, noodles and those bean sprouts. Yeah. All, all those uh, prawns and the bean curd, dry bean curds. And the most importantly, 
Coconut milk? Is that on the corner? Yeah, yeah, that must be yeah. coconut milk. The most important coconut milk. Let, let me ask you on this back here. What is laksa? Uh, Southeast Asian dish. Malaysia. Can you be more specific? I think it's the worst. Uh, food. <laughs> Seafood. Honest is no fun. Curry powder is important. Uh, curry powder is also important, right? So it's like a curry laksa is like the soupy, curry-ish, noodly dish that you can get at Malaysian Delight for, uh, I think since they reopened, the prices have gone up a little bit. Um, but you can pick that up. Um, so who said so expensive? Oh, never happy, are we? Okay. Um, we must learn to love the hard working that people do. Okay, anyways. Um, Curry laksa is you have to have so many ingredients to actually make it come out really well. Um, and actually, all those ingredients play a different part. I mean, you can have a curry laksa, but if you don't have chili in it, it's just kind of like curry, like, kind of feels plain. It feels kind of plain. Um, and things like this, you have to have these things, like onion and, and garlic. And is that garlic? That's probably tamarind or something like that, right? And uh, ginger and some chilies. You have to have these things. Now, some of us are like, oh, I love garlic. Yeah, how many people here love garlic? How many people go home and they're like, ooh, I'm just going to grab a, a bowl of garlic and just chomp it up right now? <laughs> Whew. Man, after a long day, I just love to just get some garlic. I love the peel. Like, that's my favorite part. Um, and then you like to go on and say, oh, and then I love to kiss people because that's so wonderful. You know, like, I, like, we all, like you guys love garlic, but you are not going to go home and just like... I'm just having some garlic chips, you know, just having it on my own, right? You won't, because garlic needs to be mixed with something. There's something aromatic about it. Same as spices. You might like uh, spices, right? But no one goes, oh, I can't wait to pour some coriander powder in my mouth. <laughs> Whoo, nice. Uh, right, I mean, it's not like the cinnamon challenge, right? So there's this sense of these are great, but they only work when they're, when they're mixed together with, with other things, right? Like the beauty of cooking is somehow you can take these different ingredients and bring them together and chemical reactions happen that they actually create something great. Like it's, it's amazing. You guys can see where I'm going with this, right? All of us are different ingredients. We all have a different spice that we bring to the table. But for us to be used by God, we have to be willing, right? Can you imagine like, like some of these ingredients get together, they're like, okay, you know what? All of them are like, we're, like, the seafood's like, yeah, chili, you think you're important? Come on, I cost the most here. So obviously, I'm the most important. I'm only joining if uh, this, you know, like, I'm only going to be part of this if this happens. And then, like, the seafood's having a revolt. Can you imagine you go to a restaurant, you order, like, uh, I like prawn curry laksa, and you order, and they can bring it out and say, sorry, the, the prawns didn't want it. <laughs> they're on strike. <laughs> so, I mean, they're there, they're there in the back, they just don't want to be cooked. Right? And yet, somehow, that's like our church, right? Sometimes you're like, no, I really think it's great that we have a children's ministry. No, no, I don't want to take part. That's not for me. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not a child, so I, I shouldn't be in helping the children's ministry. Like, we just throw that out because we're like, no, that's not, I just don't want to do it. Can you imagine if the noodles were like, yeah, no. I, I know curry laksa has to have noodles, otherwise just a bowl of wet curry. So you're like, you know, just use rice instead. Just throw rice in there. I don't want to go today. You know, we all have to say, well, God, if you want to prepare something great, we have to let him use us. Now, the hard part is things like um, ginger or garlic or onion. Sometimes you have to chop them up. You have to, they need to be prepared in some way. Like you, you could just throw a, an un, like just a giant clove of garlic in there or just a whole bowl, right? And you'll be like, it's, uh, I guess some flavor came out. But it wouldn't be better if you could chop it and press it or get some of the things out. 
like, um, like let's say you want chicken in there. You just throw a whole chicken in. I mean, that's going to be a really, don't, don't even pluck it, right? Like it's, first of all, PETA would be all over you guys. But um, I, I, you, you understand, if you realize, actually, God, I am some sort of ingredient for you to use, that we have all been given some sort of different gift or some sort of flavor. At the same God, you need to prepare me to be the best I can be. You need to do whatever you want to use me so that I can play a part in this. And if that means plucking my feathers, fine. Prepare me so that I can be right. It's because at the end of the day, after you get you know, pressed or ground, it might be difficult. Part of that is also refining. And it's in doing so, it's releasing things. You want to also be like the best clove of garlic or actually the most organic piece of uh, fruit or veg out there because that's going to give you the most nutrients. Because at the end of the day, we want this, right? You all want to just go and eat this right now. Like, I really want to eat this right now. (laughs) I want it that size too, right? Like, I want to be, I want the noodle to be as big as myself. So I'll be like, um, because when we look at this, we know, yeah. I'd like that. But when you look at that, you go, there's so many ingredients involved in this. Like the best ones, not just great ingredients, but great time. You, you, you really say we're unified because actually God is the chef. Right? He is the great chef. He's the one who's doing all the preparation. If there's no chef, no dish will be prepared. We'll just be sitting there all the time. And God is saying, you, my people, let me put you together for something so that you can bring that flavor out into something great. So you can use that flavor to, to demonstrate how great God is, a bigger picture of him. And in fact, the ingredients combined together make different dishes. Actually, you could look at that first set of ingredients and you say, actually, if you swap some of those ingredients out, you can make something completely different. You know, I mean, because like most cultures use garlic and onions in some way or another but they might swap it out for other things. You can add different ingredients. And you start realizing God can create and craft really beautiful, wonderful dishes that we have to appreciate. Uh, Recently in the States, they started doing this thing. um, And this is a Southern California thing. Southern California is really interesting where I grew up in, is we have so many different immigrant cultures, but a lot of them live there in really small communities, really tight communities, that you get really authentic Taiwanese or Chinese food and Malaysian food, but then you get really great... Uh, Mexican food just like down the street. And what happened was the kids as they grew up and they like decided they didn't want to be an accountant or a lawyer. They said, yeah, actually I want to go into cooking food. And they start combining foods together. So you can get a sushi, you can get a burrito, a sushi burrito. So yeah, it sounds like, is it giant sushi? It's not, it's a kind of fusion. It's wrapped in a tortilla, but they put like raw fish inside. It's like a poke bowl wrap kind of thing. And you start realizing it sounds kind of gross, and then you have me realize there are some great things that happen if fusion is done right that you would not otherwise get. If you don't appreciate what those other cultures can bring to the table. Like, I, I love Chinese food, but I got to admit, Chinese desserts, a lot of beans. Like, I'm not sure, like, not really my thing. I understand it's better for your, like, your internal health and soul, but... Like ice cream and cake? I mean, I got really hard to say no to a big Victoria sponge, right? And when it's next to a bowl of red soup with, like, orange skin in it. Like, I mean, that's great. That's great on some days. But at the same time, you understand, 
I, I also do not, actually, have you had fusion? I guess you put red bean inside a cake. Well, that's probably pretty good, too. Okay, anyways, oh, that's moon cake. Oh, never mind. Um, <laughs> you guys understand, right? There can be great things created from different ingredients and different recipes. For us as a church, we might be like dim sum. Some of us are in different kind of life groups, and we bring different things to the table, and we all come together, and we have this great thing. And you can invite friends. They can be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try some Chinese food. Now, we have to take our minds off food for a little bit. Okay. If as a Chinese church, there are some parts of God that we appreciate and understand more. Things like honoring our parents is different in the Chinese culture than it is in the Western. Things like shame and respect is different in the Chinese culture than it is in the Western. But our appreciation and understanding about God in that way can be powerful. On the flip side, it can also be bad. Like when we grew up, most of our parents never said, oh, son, I love you so much. You know, you are, I'm so proud of you. You're so, such a good son. Four Bs. I'm so wonderful. You know, I'm so proud you worked really hard. Like no Chinese parent says that. I wish they would. I mean, like I, I, I tell myself, no, I'll say that to my son. I, I don't. I know when it comes out, I say, oh, well, what happened here? Like, I'm trying to do it as the most gentle way as possible. I, pardon me. The problem is when we bring that into our understanding of God, like, we always think he's mad at us. We know he loves us, but we always think he's mad at us. You know what you learn from the West? You learn, wow, wow these, some of these parents really love their kids. On the flip side is, in the West, sometimes there's no, like, that same honor, that kind of respect, that, that, that uh, reverence may be lost. Like, I would never call my dad by his first name, ever. They just can't. In fact, I can't call most of the people here by their first name if they're older than me. I will still say uncle and auntie, right? Like, on one hand, that's kind of weird. On the other hand, there's a great sense of understanding respect and reverence in that. And, um, you, and, that, and that's something that comes on the Bible, too. And trying to see, in our culture, there are some great things about that. There's some great things that we can understand see God in a different way. We can share that with others. And as they learn our culture and see God in that light, wow. Their love for God will increase. Like me hanging out with Malaysians. Understand that the way they pray may be different. At the flip side, for us to learn from the West and to say, well, actually, wow, you mean God loves us not in the way that he's mad at us all the time and will be only love us if we succeed? He loves us unconditionally? Like, it's weird. We're reading the same Bible, but the Chinese person will skip the word unconditional. And we'll go straight to, without, without, without deeds, your faith is dead, right? Like, you understand how even our cultural interpretations can lose sight. Really, what you're trying to see is actually there is a whole plethora of different types of foods. I'm sorry, different type of cultures that uh, can demonstrate the love of God and the truth of who he is in a variety of wonderful and precious ways. Here in the West, it's great, actually. Birmingham's improved a lot. We actually have different places to get different foods. Um, imagine if that's how we see each other's churches. Our, our church here, now this is BCC. Where do we fit in God's kingdom vision? For those of us in this congregation, we are a little bit in between cultures. We can see the Chinese side. We can also see the Western side. We can maybe see the Southeast Asian side. That's great. For those of you guys who are in mixed marriages, that's really hard, really difficult, because you guys come from very different perspectives on everything, especially if you have children. But if you say, okay, God, then let me, you've united us. Let me love. Let me learn from each other. 
It means you are then giving your child or even this church a better understanding and appreciation of God. Like we will understand and love God just better because we've seen both sides. We have a chance to then share that out. People come to our church and say, oh, it's really welcoming. It's, it's not, we're not super welcoming, but we will say hi to people when they come in. Because we're like, well, we've always been the ethnic minority, and so if we're here, we're the bunch of people we know, we like to welcome people in. We like to let them feel at home. And British culture might be a little bit different because they look at us and like, oh, the Chinese person's coming. I don't want to say anything wrong. So I don't want to confuse them. I don't want to say anything racist. So I will, I'll wait for them to approach me. A Chinese person will never approach them because we're like, well, I, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to stay here. And you find that, that cultural distance. And you understand, like, if they can begin to learn and begin to grow from one another, you can help one another grow. Our morning service is definitely going to be more Chinese. Uh, we're trying to raise our kids in a different kind of way. But as a healthy Christian, you want to say, well, God, in every aspect, may my life demonstrate to the people around me that you are real. At the same time, you want to encourage the people you know who aren't believers to come to our church, but any church, because we're all on the same team. And there may be a church that may fit better with what they want to eat, like spiritually, what kind of life they want to be. And then later they'll be like, actually, this is where I want to be as well. In our evening service, we are looking, we're hoping that one day it'll be a little bit more multicultural. It's difficult because people come in and they become the ethnic minorities. But we also say, well, there's something great about having that dynamic expand and grow. If the question is, how does BCC fit into the kingdom vision of unity? It's this. We are already united by Christ. But the gifts and the special flavoring that he's given us here is an opportunity to share that with not just our Christian brothers and sisters, so they can see the warmth and love here in a different way, but also to the people who are not believers, to see Christianity is not owned by one race. Anyway, there's a... There was a, a Chinese person uh, who came to church, and she's like, oh, why are you, um, why are you, why are you a Christian? You know, that's a, that's a Western religion. You should be Buddhist, or you should follow Confucius. And I was like, shouldn't you just follow what's true? I mean, I, I, get, I get what you're trying to say, but they put so much cultural association with things. And even saying uh, Christianity is a white person's religion puts this cultural association with it. For us as a Chinese church, it's still saying, actually, no, it is not culturally owned by anyone we are saved by the grace of god and his truth that we yearn for to be demonstrated more and more on a small scale here you people who are garlics and onions that might smell and affect people in negative ways don't look down on yourself you also bring great flavor to the community for those of you who are chicken too scared to jump into the pot Maybe you need God to pluck a few feathers, chop you up, and get you into the mix. <laughs> because really, if you want to be part of something, you've got to be willing to be used. You don't want to be the ingredient that says, no, I'm just going to sit on the shelf till I have to be thrown away. It's more like, God, yeah, use me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, Indeed, let us be the best ingredient that we can be. Let's strive for holiness and purity and, and just yearn just to be closer with you so that we can be walking in that way, so that you can use us to prepare great things. Lord, I, we ask you, will you prepare us together? 
Will you be using us? Let's be open to being used by you in whatever way you want. And God, let's appreciate the different flavors here and all around. Let's not look so judgingly on someone who is different, but see, actually, God, that even you can use that to prepare something marvelous. Continue to help us to be unified, and we really look to you, knowing that you are at the heart of everything. You are the great chef. You are at the center of it. So we come and worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.